0: Good morning. Um, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Now, the Old Testament is weird. It's inspired, it's good, it's the Bible, it's God's word, but it's weird. And if you've ever read it, you know it's weird. Um, there's a whole lot of things going on you got history and these these facts you have miracles in there it's it's very unusual you have um, you have some stories that you're just like wow that is weird you have some poetry in there that's hebrew poetry you got song of solomon that's about love and sexual relationships you're like wow you actually had to be 13 before you could read song of solomon back in the day all right you got the book of Psalms, which is 150 songs collected without any words in it. It's basically like song lyrics. You have, you have the prophets like Ezekiel where he is talking about some wild out there stuff. A wheel within a wheel. You got the story of the beginning. You got everything. So if we're honest, most of us would say, man, I know the Old Testament is God's word. But when I read it, I get freaked out because it's weird. I'm saying something that you would not say to your pastor, but your pastor is saying it, okay? And so here's the deal. Jesus helps us in the Sermon on the Mount, the longest section of his teaching, like in, in succession, in the, all of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 5. We see Jesus talking about this. He talked about this kingdom that's coming, and he is the one, he is the king, God in the flesh, who's come to bring a kingdom, a kingdom through his blood and his sacrifice and his resurrection. He came first as a suffering servant, fully God, fully man, to come to die on the cross that all who would believe in him and his sacrifice might have eternal life, and he rose to show that God accepted the sacrifice, and he ascended, and he's coming again, and when he comes with him, or when he came the first time, he started the kingdom that will come in its fullness, his reign and rule in the earth, when he makes a new heavens and a new earth when he comes again. Until then, we live in this time where the kingdom is here and it's coming. We talked about the Beatitudes say people in the kingdom are like that. And then it says not only that, people in the kingdom have these characteristics in the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are all those people, But he also tells us that we're salt and light, which is an image to help us understand how we are to witness to the world. And then he switches, how on earth, in Jesus' name, are we ever to understand the Old Testament? And thankfully, he starts there, because if you were honest and I was honest, we'd be going, yay, my my Bible reading today is in Leviticus. (laughs) Yeah, good. Oh, I get to read 12 chapters of Ezekiel? fantastic. I don't know what that is. Oh, the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel. And if you've never read the Bible, you're going, that does sound complicated, okay? And it is. But let me give you this. If you can understand that Jesus is the culmination and the center of the Bible, he's the key to making all the Old and the New Testament fit together. You can start to track with it a little bit. Jesus says exactly that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one Of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now I would like us to start with verse seventeen. I want you to get this Jesus did not come to destroy or abolish the law. He came to accomplish it or fulfill it. Matt, where do you get that? Well, Jesus said it in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it, all, until it is all accomplished. So Jesus, when he comes, there's, there's a, this kind of movement in, amongst people, especially people who have a, um, have a desire to reach people who have never been in the Bible before, to kind of unhitch the, the New Testament from the Old Testament. And I tell you, that is dangerous and it will lead to a big time problem because the Old Testament is important. Jesus didn't come to destroy it, He came to fulfill it. And He actually says in verse 18 that He has come. He said, The, the law is of such nature that it won't pass away. Not one dot, one, one iota will go from it. Now, if you want to think about it this way. The, the languages that the Bible's written in, which is Greek and Hebrew, they have a lot of differences from our language, okay? Many similarities, but some differences. Now, in our language, we have letters, like a lowercase i, that has two parts, right? You got the, the little stick at the bottom. Okay, I'm going to do my best to describe a letter to you, okay? I realize that might be difficult. There's a little stick at the bottom, and then what do you do? You dot the i, right? And if you've ever taken notes before... Or trying to write something down on a phone message, what is the thing you might leave off? A dot, an I. But can you still read the word? If I wrote the word sit, okay, and there was no dot on the I, would you be going, What word is this? No, you would say, Oh, I got to add that. Have you ever been in a real hurry and not crossed the T? I have. And they can, if, you're, if you write in cursive or however, it might look like an L. But you can pretty much figure it out from context. Well, that's not what I was talking about. Jesus says this. The law, he didn't come to destroy it in verse 17, but to fulfill it. And then he goes in verse 18 and says, I am going to tell you the absolute truth. I'm not not kidding with you. I'm not joking. I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, until there's a new heavens and a new earth, until this time is gone, he says, not an iota which would have had an iota is kind of like a Greek I, if you will. That's my best, the best way I can describe it. And it has a little, not a dot, but it has a little thing over it. So not a little tiny, little, tiny letter or a little tiny dot of an I will pass away. And then he goes and says, or a dot in some of the languages. In fact, if you go in the Hebrew language, there is a letter that is basically an apostrophe. It's called a yod. Okay. And it actually is a letter that is just an apostrophe. Aren't you thankful you don't have to read that language, okay? All right, thankful we have a translation of the Bible, so we don't have to see that because that one letter is that. He says, not even the smallest parts of the language will pass away from God's Word until, look in verse 18, Until it will not pass away until the law is accomplished. So I want you to get this really quick and hear this. Jesus is saying, he when his ministry does not get rid of the Old Testament. It accomplishes the Old Testament. It fulfills the Old Testament. The word fulfill is the idea of filling to the brim. The other day I was at the gas station. You ever been to the gas station? I'm sure you have. So I was at the gas station, and now I've got this thing where um, I'm afraid that um, I don't put my card in the slot anymore because I've been like, I'm really worried about somebody stealing my credit card number. And I'm always like, every time I pull up, I'm like, that could be a shady dude trying to steal my, <laughs> steal my credit card number. So I go inside, and I purchase it that way. So I'll go, in, I'll go inside, and I get the gas. And usually when I go in there, I make a, um, one of those uh, impulse buys. Like, oh, yeah, I need sour gum. I never eat. It just stays in my car. So I'm there, and I, and I get the $20 of gas, and I go. And yesterday, I'm trying to get the gas pump in my car, and it doesn't look like it's fitting. I mean, it sort of does. It was not diesel. I know what you're, more, I know you're thinking, what a moron he is. He's trying to put diesel in his car. I did not put diesel in my car. I drove here today. But I was just, I, I put it in there and I'm not, in, in all hopes that as I'm pumping the gas, it's not going to shoot out at me. But inevitably, if you've ever been to a pump that was broken or your car is broken, if you've ever been in that situation where somebody is just shooting gas out of their car because it's overflowing, and it's, it's overflowing, you ever seen that before? Yes, you have. And you're like when this happened and you're like to other people you're like, Thank God that's not me. When it happens to you, it's like, It's this pump's fault, it's not mine. Right? The idea of fulfilling to complete is that it it is overflowing. So Jesus comes and he completes it. He fills the tank up. The old testament, what it was getting at. Is fulfilled in Jesus. And he is the point, and he helps us understand the rest of it. Now, when he says in verse 17, when Jesus says, Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, he is saying something that we might miss, but his hearers would not. The law and the prophets would constitute basically him saying the whole Old Testament. The law or the Torah is what it was called in, in the Jewish, Jewish uh, world, is, or nowadays we can call it the Pentateuch, which means the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Good. I I, I was hoping I wouldn't blank on that for just a minute. Like, good job. We're going to listen to that guy. I can't get the first five right. First five books of the Bible, the Torah. That was a slow trickle. (laughs) Um, First five books of the Bible. And the prophets talk about all of the other books. And including that is the historical books, which we got... Joshua, Judges, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First uh, and Second Chronicles, and others. Okay, and the prophets also include the wisdom literature when he would talk about that. So the Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job will be included in that. Plus, when he says the prophets, he's talking about the major and minor prophets. Do you know why we call them major and minor prophets? It's not because this is this is going to be super simple. You are going to be like, oh yeah. It's not because, like, Isaiah was the man, okay, and Habakkuk, man, that guy's got a terrible name, so we'll put him down at the end of the list. No, it was because of this. We do it. It's very simple. The major prophets wrote big books. The minor prophets wrote small books. Okay? Mind blown. And if you're just not, if you're, if you're look, if you're just your first time in the Bible or haven't been in it in a while, don't worry, just go to your table of contents and you'll be like, oh yeah, I see how that laid out. So when Jesus says, don't think that I've come to destroy or abolish all the law and the prophets, I'm not, when his arrival on the scene and his ministry and his kingdom, it's not destroying the Old Testament, it's fulfilling, bringing to completion the Old Testament. And that includes the law and the prophets, the first five books and the rest of the Bible. So he is the key to understanding the scriptures. Now I want to show you really quick when he, when we talk about that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophecy or the law and the prophets. I'm going to show you just briefly how he does that. The law, first five books of the Bible, okay? In the law, the first five books of the Bible, there's a whole lot of laws, about 613 laws altogether. He comes and he fulfills those. And the law can be broken down into two chief components. The first is the moral law, which is that It talks about your moral life and what you should do and what you should not do. The, ba- the best example of the moral law, Ten Commandments. You ever heard of those? Even if you haven't before, you can look them up. They're pretty good. Dou- you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, right? Then it goes down to don't murder, don't covet, don't steal, don't, be- don't bear false witness. And I know I'm not quoting them verbatim, but you got it. You got it. Those are the laws that tell you how you should behave, how you should live. And, and, the, and that is one of the greatest examples. So Jesus, he comes and he fulfills the moral law by keeping the moral law. He never sinned. All 613 laws, 200 of which are do's, 300 of which are do not's, 300-ish. He kept every single one of those. You ever said the word, nobody's perfect or nobody's uh, perfect" or whatever, Okay. If you've ever said that before, Jesus was. Every way you fail, he succeeded. Every temptation that occurs and temptation occurs. He was tempted in all points, as the book of Hebrews says, like a man, because he was God in the flesh. He had a human body just like ours, but he was without sin. Jesus kept the moral law perfectly so that those who trust in him could be counted righteous through his observance of the moral law and man that's pretty impressive secondly we see with that when it comes to the moral law not only is he perfect in keeping it but he shows us how we can obey it by first simplifying it okay i don't know about you but i get confused fairly easily okay? I, I do. I, I really do. I, I, get, I get distracted really easily, okay? I'm like, squirrel, okay? I mean, it, it happens. And I can barely keep five or six things going on at once. Can you imagine, like, every day you get up and you have to keep 613 laws perfectly? Do's and don'ts. Even the Ten Commandments. Like, thou shalt not murder. Now, Jesus, he's going to tell us later on, he's like, if he says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, okay? But if you say fool in your heart, you've committed murder. So when I drove to Nashville yesterday to the Vanderbilt game, Vanderbilt, Florida game, go Gators. um, You're welcome. Uh, So when I drove to that game, I committed a lot of murder because people are stupid and they can't drive. What's wrong with them? I'm like, drive your car. I don't know what a stop sign is. I mean, you're like, about to have an aneurysm. Then we ended up in Green Hills, went to Trader Joe's. If you've ever been to Trader Joe's, it's like a grocery store on Hipster. Okay, I mean, that's basically what it is. And it's got no parking lot, and everybody's walking through there like, ah, like, just drive your car. Okay, and the parking lot's the size of a thimble. Murdering is happening. Jesus fulfills the law, and he helps us understand what we must do. In fact, he takes and he simplifies the law to its core essentials. In Matthew chapter 22, when when someone comes to him and talks about what's the greatest law, and Jesus says in in Matthew 22, 37, he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first This is the great and first commandment in verse 39. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophet. Let me say that again. Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And what he's getting at is this. All of those 613 laws can be boiled down to two laws. And that's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So when you look at the do's and the don'ts of the Bible, they're really getting at one of two things. You need to love God with everything you have in you, and that's what that law—that's what some of the, most of the laws are about. Second one is you need to love your neighbor as yourself, and those are the, the crux. He takes those six hundred thirteen laws, and if you want to know why any, any of those laws are there, it's related to either loving God or loving people. So Jesus, as this linchpin, he helps us understand. So now, as, with him as this code, him as this. This, this, this clue to help us decipher the whole Old Testament, when we look at the do's and the don'ts of the Old Testament, we can see that Jesus fulfilled them where we couldn't. And secondly, we see that Jesus helps us understand all of the laws, whether they're whether, all the moral laws that are in the Bible that tells us what to do and what not to do, they are pointing at how we can love our neighbor and love God with everything that we have. And so all of a sudden, that which is really weird about building a fence on the top of our house or doing this and that and that, we can look at those laws and be like, oh Yeah. That's about loving my neighbor, loving God fully. And we may not completely understand how that works out in our life now. It takes a little extra interpretation. And it makes it a little more clear. It's like the fog's lifting. Jesus fulfills the moral law, but he also fulfills the, fulfills the ceremonial law. There's two parts of the law. Ceremonial law it has to do with that which is related to making sacrifices in the religion of the, the Jewish people. The, the, the Jewish religion was really a, was set up around festivals that had a lot of symbolism, like you would drink this and light this and do this. If you ever seen Hanukkah, okay, that's not one of the uh, uh, ones in the Bible, but you've, if you've ever seen that's one of our most evident Jewish holidays, okay? Most of you aren't celebrating Yom Kippur, and you've never been to any of that type of stuff, but if you think about the, you know about the menorah and Hanukkah. They light the lights, and the lights represent God's saving work, Okay? They had all of these festivals in the, in, the, in the New Testament. Jesus fulfills all of those, te- and he talks about that in the book of John. He's the light of the world. fulfills the, the Feast of Tabernacles. He's God with us. He's all these different things. We also know this, that in the Old Testament, for people to be forgiven of their sins, animals had to be killed, and their blood poured out or their bodies burned. It was a very bloody thing, and I'm thankful as a pastor now, as a man called God, that I don't have to do that because if you brought me and say, hey, Matt, it's time for the day of offering, and you brought me a whole bunch of pigeons and some, like, shears, I'd be like, uh-uh, your sins are going to go uncovered. I don't want to do that. Hey, Matt, let's get a winch in here, and you put a goat up in here, and you slit its throat and bleed it out, and then, I don't want to do that, man. Okay, and you, the first time you walked in this church, you'd be like, this is a weird church. You ever wonder why we don't do that anymore? It's because Jesus was the once-for-all sacrifice. So we don't have to go try to go to God by taking and atoning for for our sins in these other ways. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would talk about this. And I'm going to read a lengthy section, but it will be on the screen. I want you to follow along because this is super important, how Jesus fulfills all these festivals and especially the need for our sins to be covered by blood. This is Hebrews 10.1. It says, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The law is just a shadow. It's not the real thing. There's no way that the blood of sheep and goats could take away sin, ultimately. Verse 2 Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And we jump down in Hebrews to verse 11 and it says, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never be taken away. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool of his feet. For this is super important, verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The offering system in the, the Old Testament where animals were killed to cover sin was just a shadow. It was not the reality. Jesus was coming the God in the flesh who lived a perfect sinless life to be the perfect lamb to be sacrificed for sins. He and his sacrifice on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago was the only way for sins to be covered and atoned for. And by one single sacrifice, all are made right. Jesus fulfills the ceremonial law. So when you look at all these things, when the offerings that were made, Jesus and his sacrifice fulfilled all of those religious laws. Jesus fulfilled them, brought them to their completion. Not only do we see that, but Jesus fulfills the wisdom books. You're thinking, "Now, how does he fulfill the Psalms? How does he fulfill Proverbs? Because Jesus was the living embodiment of a person with God-fearing wisdom. The, the Proverbs say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus walked in perfect fear and reverence to God the Father, and he embodied wisdom. So if you want to know wisdom, and wisdom is this. Wisdom is knowing truth and how to exercise it, okay? There's a lot of people who have a lot of book smarts, but they don't have any wisdom. It's true. Go to some of their houses. I had a professor in college at the University of Florida who was entomology professor, okay, that's bugs, and he decided he thought pesticides were the worst thing in the world, and I'm not here to debate our our pesticides. Some of you are thinking, amen, okay. Some of you are like, bring the poison in my house as long as the the things are gone. I'm not here to debate that, but what I am here to tell you is this. This man decided they were bad, real bad, and he said, here's my solution. I'm going to take banana spiders, and I'm going to breed them. If you've ever seen a banana spider in Florida, they're about the size of your hand, and they're black and yellow, and he decided that this would be better than putting an exterminator loose in his house for bugs. He was going to breed and let loose banana spiders all over his home. And he's saying this like it's perfectly a normal like jump. I have bugs. I don't like poison. Spiders! Arachnids! Great! We'll let them go loose all over the house. That man was incredibly intelligent, but really not wise. You got arachnophobia going on instead of roaches. I don't know. I don't want either, all right? Bring the poison to my house. That seems silly, knowledge without wisdom. But Jesus was the fullness of knowledge of God, and he kept the law perfectly. And he also showed us how we could, the Psalms are about connecting with God. Through Christ is the only way you can actually connect with God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the books all of, the law, all of the poetic books. He's also the fulfillment of the historical books in the Bible that tell the story that begins in Genesis with mankind, with God creating a perfect good world, mankind falling into sin, and God's plan to bring back people from sin through the people of Abraham all the way to the people of Israel, and culminating in Jesus. He fulfills that. The whole storyline leads to Jesus coming on the scene. He fills the prophets in two ways. He fills the prophets, which is all the rest of the Bible. In fact, if you're keeping count, that's the whole Bible. In fact, the law of the prophets, the whole thing, a whole Old Testament, Jesus fulfills it. He fulfills the prophets by this. Many of the prophecies in the prophets, Isaiah, point to him. Like Isaiah, we have that suffering servant who was pierced. For transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. That's pointing to Jesus and his death on the cross. Isaiah 53. He fulfilled that. God called it, Jesus made it happen. You can't we can't predict anything. We can't predict the weather. We can't predict anything. But thousands of years or hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene, Isaiah said, This is gonna happen, and guess what happens? Jesus is crucified fulfills the prophecy. He is the fulfillment. He brings it to completion. What God said through these Old Testament prophets come to be in Jesus. Also this, the people of Israel always sin. There's this cycle of their life, and you might feel like, hey, when when they're telling those stories, it's like me. They're in trouble. They're in sin. Their life falls apart. What happens? They call out to God. God is compassionate and loving, and he listens to them. And what does he do? He saves them, right? And he, and he brings them out of that. And they rejoice, and they praise God. And they're like, oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, or not Jesus yet. Thank you, God the Father. They don't know it's Jesus yet. He's coming. Thank you, God. And they get real, they get real spiritual. And then you know what happens? They forget about God's deliverance. And they're like, you know, I think I'm going to sin some more. And they sin. And you know what happens with sin? Their life deteriorates and comes down to the bottom. And they're at the, the lowest point. They're like, God, help me. And it's like this cycle again and again. And the ultimate culmination of that cycle is seen in the, in the prophets when Jerusalem, the, te- the city of God, is destroyed. But he's saying, look, this destruction won't be the end. I'm going to bring one who's going to save you thoroughly and put your law not on tablets but on your heart. And you know who that one was? the Messiah, Jesus. You know, Christ isn't his last name. He's not Mr. Christ. Christ is a title, meaning Messiah, meaning the one prophesied to come. Jesus is, fulfills the entire. He did not come to abolish it, but he is the fullness of the Old Testament. Knowing that, knowing that, Jesus is the key to properly understanding the entire Bible, especially the Old Testament, he's the key. If you want to understand and understand it, you look to Jesus. Now, one of my favorite movies is Apollo 13. You ever seen Apollo 13? If you haven't, it's about a failed Apollo mission to land on the moon. Tom Hanks is in it. Ron Howard directed it. Fantastic movie. But there's a scene in the movie in which their guidance computers are out. Okay? Now, I need a GPS in downtown Nashville. But if I was flying around the moon coming to get back into Earth, I would definitely need a GPS, okay? And their guidance computers are gone. So you know what they had to do? They had to do a burn, which means they had to thrust thrust the rockets that were on this. They're trying to get – the spacecraft is damaged. They can't land on the moon. They're coming back. They need to hit the atmosphere just right so they don't bounce off of it into endless space and then perish or come in too steep and burn up. So they had to get it just right. And so what they decided to do, NASA down in Houston said, Uh, I'm going to need you to do a uh – um, uh control burn. And they're like, what? Yeah, we're going to need you to burn uh, the engines for a while. Uh, okay. And they're like, okay, can we can we uh, get the guidance computer out and do that? That's a negative, good buddy. And they're like, what? And then Jim Lovell, Love it, or Lovell, I think is his name, who's the captain, he goes, how are we supposed to know where we're going when we're burning these engines? Um, you just need to keep the earth in the mirror. There's a triangular mirror, and the whole time, as soon as they kick these engines in, this is literal rocket science, too. I mean, literal rocket science. They're supposed to hold on to this damaged spacecraft and use the controls and the, and the engines to burn it to, to keep the earth right in the window. They get it out of the window, they're going to go off into endless space. They come in too steep, they're going to burn up. It's a great scene. So they get down and they get ready, boom, and they pull it open and the spacecraft is going everywhere, they have to go radio silent, and you just see the... The, the spacecraft going, you see that in, this, in the movie, you could see the the, the, the Earth would be right there in the, in, the, in the window, and then they'd turn this way and they start fighting to get it back in the window, and they got to keep it right there in the window, and finally it's over. the burn is over. Good job up there. Oh <laughs> way did not burn up and die that. That's Jesus. He's the earth in the window. And if you're reading the Bible and you're reading it and it's wrestling you all over the place, like, what is this about? I don't get this. I don't understand that. For it to make sense, you have to keep Jesus in the window, He is the pinnacle. He is the fullness of understanding. If you want to understand the Scriptures, you have to understand it through the prism of Jesus. He must be in the window at all times. Now, Jesus tells us that, and then he gets to, he's going to transition here, if you will, in verse 19 and 20. He says, therefore, because he doesn't come to abolish the law, but he is the fulfillment of the law, he says, not a little sp- not even a little letter of the law will pass away until it's accomplished. Then he says in verse 19, Jesus says, therefore, because the law won't ever go away and it speaks of me and it's God's word and it will not ever go away but I'm going to accomplish it. Verse 19 says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So because the law is not going to pass away, you can't. Well, Jesus has come, so that means we can relax the laws. No. You have to find out how they're fulfilled, or you have to understand them through Jesus, but you're not supposed to relax them. You are supposed to keep them. And there's blessing on those who keep the law and teach others to do that, and there's curses on those who do not keep the law and relax it. And teach others to, not, to relax it as well. And then we get to verse 20, which is a huge uh oh moment. And the Sermon on the Mount is full of uh oh moments. Verse 20: For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Picture with me the holiest person you've ever known. The one who never gets it wrong. The one who knows it all. The one who is constantly, when they hear about your behavior, they're saying, have you ever thought that you're a pagan? Okay. Have you ever thought you're and the, that person that keeps all the laws, that knows all the Bible references, that, that, that just just does it right. The, take that person, times them by 20, and you have the scribes and the Pharisees. These people especially some of those who were up in the law, would have memorized almost the entire Old Testament. Memorized. Not just bits and pieces, the whole thing. They would know it all, and they excelled at it. Plus, they were meticulous, and they wrote books and books and books about how to keep the law and understand the law. So they made laws on top of laws, and they all knew these laws, and they were very educated in the laws, and they were very good at keeping the laws outwardly. And Jesus would pronounce woe on them because they got everything right in mentally, but their hearts were far from God, and they never obeyed from a pure and sincere heart. But to those sitting in Jesus's audience, when he says, you got to be more holy than these super religious scribes and Pharisees, they would have gone, uh, uh, okay, that's impossible. Look with me, and Jesus says, this is in the woe to the Pharisees area. This is Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These ought to be... have.'" These ought to have been done without neglecting the others. And so here's the point. These guys were so meticulous in their keeping of the law and their understanding of the law that they would go out in their field and they would count and they would tithe. The tithe is a tenth. So they'd find where where they have planted um, some dill, okay? And they'd go, one dill plant, two dill plants, da-da-da-da-da. The tenth one, they'd pick it up and they'd give it to God. It's a lot of work. They would do that for every crop they had. And so when the people would hear that your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, they would have been like, say what? Do you get something? And I want you to to see this, this clear. The laws of God are meant to show you how holy God is and how unholy you and I are, to make us despair. And you're like, man, I came to get uplifted. <laughs> I came to hear about God's love for me. Yeah, but you need to also hear about God's holiness, which means His perfectness. And you and I cannot be good enough or holy enough to be with God, for Him to declare us righteous. In the Sermon on the Mount, when we look at God's laws, it shows God's holiness and His perfection and what He requires. To come to him. In fact, the psalmist would say, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can be found in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Ain't hey, none of us fit that bill. And the Sermon on the Mount, when he says that, unless your righteousness, unless you are more righteous and holy than the scribes and the Pharisees, these people who, their whole business of life was to know the Bible, to know how to do these things, unless you surpass them, you cannot. Enter the kingdom of God. And you can imagine, I would imagine for just a moment the despair trickled in. We say nobody's perfect to excuse our own failures and our, and our own problems in a, in a way that doesn't, is non-condemnatory to ourselves. But nobody's perfect means we can't ascend the hill of the Lord and stand before God and have a relationship with him. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's getting us to that uh-oh moment, which we, get, we really we get to a, truth and a place of truth and honesty where we say, I can't fulfill the law. I can't be holier than these holy people. I can't do all those things. I'm, it's impossible for me to please God on my own. And then when you get to that uh-oh moment and it gets really dark, a light comes on. Went to it. I have this thing where I keep on vacation going to caves, like not to live there or to like stay there. But I was out with the family. I said, hey, let's, there was a cave in Alabama. I said, let's go to this cave. And everybody's like, yay. (laughs) And I thought, this would be cool. So we went to this cave. And they have put electricity in the cave so they can run electric lights in the cave. Okay? And apparently while they're wiring this cave for electricity, a man, the electrician who was doing it, dropped his flashlight, and it went 100 feet down. He can't go anywhere because he knows there's a hole that goes 100 feet down, and it's dark, and nobody knows he's gone, and they can't find him. You know why? Because he's dark. It's dark. He stays in there for about 48, 72 hours. I can't remember how long it is before they found him. Could you imagine how brilliant the light was? When it turned on, you have to understand your need before you can understand how great a savior Jesus is and the and he 's going to go through this he 's going to talk about all these laws he 's about anger and lust. And, and so many different laws and how they, they don't have their, the, the, the way we look at them is not properly interpreted. We have to obey from the inside out. We can't. We get to the uh-oh moments. Jesus takes us again and again in the Sermon on the Mount to the uh-oh moments, which goes and says, pits us in absolute despair, in darkness, if you will, like in that cave. We can't fulfill the law, but Jesus can. And so all of my hope is in Jesus so the uh-oh moment leads to the brilliant moment of seeing Christ as the treasure that he is. The fulfillment of the law and the way that we can be righteous. Because remember what Jesus says about people in the kingdom? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Purity of heart means an inward purity that it comes out into outward actions. The Pharisees, as Jesus would say, they had all this outward Obedience, but their hearts were far from God. But God is creating these new people by faith in Jesus Christ who trust in Him for their righteousness and now have a new heart and now they want to be righteous from the inside out. It's no longer trying to keep the rules, but really having a heart far from the rules. It is this it's a new life that wants to live in communion with God and that's available through Christ. But before you get to that place of seeing him as the great treasure and your righteousness, you have to see the depths of the darkness of our own, our own unrighteousness. Listen, if you don't see your sin as great, you'll never see Jesus as great. But if you see your sin, for as dark and as heinous as it is, that light, when you're found in that utter darkness, is so brilliant. Jesus fulfills the whole law. He doesn't wipe it away. He doesn't reduce its. He doesn't reduce the standard. He's not giving participation trophies. But in our failure to keep it, he is our righteousness when we trust him by faith. So here, I want to say a quick word to you. If you are not in Christ, I hope today that you would do two things. I hope God convicts you of your sin and shows you how heinous they are. And then I hope he shows you this, how great the, the payment for your sin was in Jesus. And if you will turn from your sins and trust in him, you'll have eternal life. And you will go from darkness to light. And you will have now this ability that you never had before to obey. A new capacity. And if you're here today and you are in Christ, you know what? It is really easy to see, to go through the motions. Because life is fast and it's busy and we have an enemy that wants, us to, wants to keep us from seeing Jesus for all who he is, as brilliantly and as wonderful as he is. And today is a moment for us, as we're going to take communion in a minute, to just think about the perfect God, the perfect Son of God, shedding his blood, and his body broken, that we might have eternal life and treasure that today. Treasure that. And we're going to invite our communion team forward. And as the communion team comes forward, um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take communion. Um, we, as if, in case many of you, uh, in case you don't know, we put the juice in the cracker. There's two cups together. Just pull those apart. And in a few minutes after everyone's served, um, we'll be glad uh, to take the supper together, remembering Christ's sacrifice. So until then, take just a few moments and prepare your heart to take communion. On the night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his disciples, and he had took bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat. In like manner, he took the cup after supper and said, this is my body, or this is my blood poured out for you, take it and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you would, let's stand. We'll be dismissed with this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt had lost its taste, how shall it be restored? Go, you are salt in this world. Walk in that truth. God bless you. You're dismissed.